Radio shouting. Well, you know, they hustle for, for the wrong thing. Uh-huh. See, some people was hustling for it. They hustle for uh, material things, you know, a car, a pair of Air Jordans. Mm-hmm. Me, myself, I wasn't hustling for Air Jordans. You know, I wasn't hustling for a new Nike sweatsuit. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be big. I wanted yeah. to be rich. I cut up the station. It's about that time for Fila. Most likely he a small fry if he was stamped by Beehive. It's one in one station only. They got the streets on fire. So please do not touch the dial. Cut with film and go live. Already, man. You know we live from 285 right now. And of course, you know it's yours truly. Beehive. Stepping in here, I got a guy that's a community activist, philanthropist, motivational speaker, author. And one of the biggest bosses they ever do it, man. I'm talking about Rick Ross. What's good with it, man? It's all good. And sometimes comedian. Oh, man. The <laughs> joke. <laughs> I mean, how's everything going with you, though, boss? Man, it's going all right. I mean, you know, it ain't where I want it, but um, it's getting better. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, I see you brought the book with you today, Freeway Rick Ross, The Untold Biography. I mean, tell me a little bit about you it. You know what? I left our ghetto Bible. The ghetto Bible. <laughs> That's what the dudes on the street calling yeah. it. The ghetto Bible. Yes, sir. You know, uh, my book's been doing really well on Amazon and mm-hmm. Kindle and Nook and all of them. And the people who've been buying it have been street dudes, man. I've yeah. been getting a lot of support from the street. So uh, when they told me the name of it, they said, man, this book is a book that should be lived by. Yeah. I said, huh? I didn't, I didn't know I wrote it like that. They said, man, this is a ghetto Bible. Ooh. What are some of the main points in this ghetto Bible that you want to stick with people in there? Well, you know, it, it's simple as why you shouldn't gangbang. Mm-hmm. You know, why gangbanging is detrimental to you having money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, why you can't buy everything you see. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Is in there. I mean, it's just so much in there, man. Uh, you know, I, Let's I talk get to about the... how I started with $125 and turned it into $3 million a day. And I believe that those same principles are, are, are universal and transferable, mm-hmm. meaning that I believe that we can take those principles and use them to anything that we're trying to do in life. And, 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 and you know, and I've been doing that. That's what I'm doing right now. You know, that's why John Singleton want me to help him with his TV series, and mm. Rodney Barnes want me to help him with his TV series, and you know, Cora Baca, who's going to do one with HBO, want me to help her with hers. You know, that's why this is a bestseller. You know. Yes, sir. I mean, can you give me some of those principles, though? Well, you know, you you, you got to save your money. Uh-huh. You know, your money is your most valuable asset, mm-hmm. you know, uh, besides your brain. You know, the brain is the most valuable thing that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the most powerful thing on the planet, mm-hmm. you know, but you got to use it. A lot of times we don't use our brain. We let other people use it for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are some of, the, some of the key points, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And then I mentioned, like you just said, my favorite three books, you know, yeah. Richest Man in Babylon, As a Man Think, and Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. Are they in there too? You know, yeah. And uh, I put some of their principles in there as well. So. Okay, I mean a little background about yourself. Out of Tyler, Texas, moved to the L.A. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How was that transition coming from the South to the West Coast during the time where the riots were going crazy? Well, you know what? I, I didn't want to move to California. I'm yeah. straight up honest with you. You know, uh, I was like any other kid. You know, once you planted somewhere, that's where you think mm-hmm. you're supposed to be. You know, uh, moving to L.A. was uh, uh, definitely a shock for me. Mm-hmm. You know, me and my mom left. Uh, I had an older brother who was, you know, he was like my world, you know. 
Uh, he's my hero, my first hero. Yeah. And uh, we left him in Texas with my father. Mm. So, you know, leaving him was, was a shock. And uh, and then, you know, when you read the story, you'll see that uh, my mom uh, shot her brother, mm. who we were staying with at the time, and, 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 uh, and killed him. And, and uh, I was standing right there when it happened. So, you know, that was, that was shocking, too. And, and my uncle had become uh, like a father to me. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so uh, it was a shock for, you know, for a young dude. And then my mom goes to prison, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to jail, not prison, but to jail for a while. And yeah. now I'm in a big city by myself. You know, my mom in prison, my brother's in Texas. Yeah. Uh, it kind of felt, you know, alone. Yeah. How did you survive in those kind of circumstances, though? Because, I mean, you really were alone. Well, you know what? And then I, when I look back on it, that's probably why my early childhood, mm-hmm. My reading, I didn't get, I didn't catch on the reading and stuff. Was mm-hmm. Probably because I was going through that shock. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, I don't know. You know, it was, it was, it was, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, I got through it, and uh, here I am today. Yes, sir. Now, I mean, speaking of not reading too much or too well, I mean, how were you able to get your hustle on and be illiterate at the same time? And I mean. What was it about your hustle that was different from other folks? Because a lot of people try to get busy, but they really ain't making enough money to even still pay their bills. Well, you know, they hustle for the wrong things. Uh-huh. See, some people was hustling for They hustle for uh, material things, you know, a car, a pair of Air Jordans. Mm-hmm. Me, myself, I wasn't hustling for Air Jordans. You know, I wasn't hustling for a, a new Nike sweatsuit. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be big. I wanted yeah. to be rich. You know what I'm saying? Uh and that's what I was hustling for. So, you know, when it was days that other guys went shopping, you know, I went back to the block. Yeah. You know, and stuck my money, put my money back into it, and, mm-hmm. and, and just continually to grow. What was going through your mind when you saw that the flips were starting to grow at a rapid rate? Because, I mean, when you look up and you're handling $3 million in one day, I mean, that's kind of crazy. Well, it was what I wanted. Uh-huh. You know, I wanted to handle more than that. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was like a, a plan came together, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, and, and I loved it, and, and, and I continued to, to work mm-hmm. to make sure that it happened, you know. And what's really strange, you know, when I was sitting in prison and I was, matter of fact, when I was writing this book and I was looking back at my life and I was looking at all the things that I was willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. to accomplish those goals, you know, uh, my life, uh, and even my loved one's life, you know, the people around me. Because, you know, when you're in the drug business, it, it's really a ruthless business. Exactly. And, and not just from the, the, the cats on the street, man, the police was ruthless. I don't know, did you see my documentary? Of course. Well, you saw the cop on there who talked about how they was robbing. And, yeah. And then he told them how they, uh, what he called, flanked me, I think that's what yeah. he said was his words. Meaning that uh, they put dope on me, but he didn't tell you that they shot at me when I was on the arm. You know, running away from the scene, uh, they shot at me five or six times and shot all up in some other people's house and all kind of stuff. And he said that was me who shot. Yeah. I mean, some of the same stuff that we got going on today, you know. Exactly. I mean, we were just talking about that earlier. I mean, Walter Scott shot running away from the police. Yeah, man. I mean, what were your thoughts about that when you saw that? Because, I mean, finally we got a situation where it's on videotape. And, I mean, you flat out see a black man fleeing for his life mm. and being shot in the back. But we still got to have a jury find him guilty. I mean, right now, he's just been arrested. Yeah. But what I found out, 
even with the cops that had did that to us, these cops had 150 people in jail illegally. Mm. They had lied on search warrants, planted drugs on, lied on the witness stand. Well, when these cops went to trial, they still acquitted them. The all-white jury still acquitted them because they said when they when they polled the jury, they said that they couldn't believe the words of a drug dealer. So now a man who got killed, you know, we know he had child support. Yeah. So they're going to say he was a criminal. Yeah. So now they're going to say, well, he was a criminal. He must have did something wrong. I heard them say that he took the, the police's taser gun or something already. I don't know. Yeah. But this is just the system that we're living in, you mm-hmm. know, when you know, when you white, you right. Yeah. What was going through your mind when you were trying to lead the game and set up other kind of legitimate businesses? You know, what made you decide to go ahead and do that versus continue with the sacrifice and playing the tightrope game? Well, you know, when I when I went into the dope game, I went into the dope game to get out. Yeah. I based my dope career off of Superfly. You remember the mm. movie Superfly? I know what you're talking about. That's the whole basis that I based my drug business off of his 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 philosophy that mm-hmm. he was trying to get out of the game. So when I went in, mm-hmm. I went in with the mentality that I'm gonna get out. So I didn't get caught up in all the other things because I said that I am getting out. Yeah. I don't know that I was going to have to do 20 years, though. What did you think about when the police finally came and got you and tried to and hit you with the 20 years? Well, you know, they hit me with a life sentence. How were you able to beat that? I went in there, I taught myself to read or write, mm-hmm. and I got to where when I went in the courtroom, I felt like I was the smartest guy in there. Mm. What was the point that made you say, you know what, I can't be illiterate no more, I got to... Figure out, I got to figure these letters and these words out in these books out so I can go out here and fight for myself. Well, when they gave me my indictment, what I found out is that for the first time in my life, I really wanted to know what was on them pages. Mm. On them pages. So uh, that's when I started to want to know how to read. Mm-hmm. During that time when you were doing all of that reading, what were some of the books that you were reading that were kind of motivating you? Or were you just doing more so research than anything else I on your off, case? I start off with research, mm-hmm. uh, but then uh, I think the first book I got was As a Man Think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept reading that book over and over and over and over because it was the only book I had, mm-hmm. you know, other than law books. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in jail, most of the books they have are what they call street lit, mm-hmm. you know, where guys are talking about how Sally walked the block and how uh, Slick Willie is pimping and, mm-hmm. you know, John is selling dope, and those are the books that most guys read in there. So uh, it was only one book that that I could relate to, and it was As a Man Think. And mm-hmm. I just kept reading it over and over again. And then I got uh, Think and Grow Rich mm-hmm. by Napoleon Hill, and then I got The Richest Man in Babylon. And mm-hmm. I just started to take those principles and and mold them into my to my life. Now, did you feel like you had already been using some of those principles before? Absolutely, absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Because I'm thinking, thinking, bro, Richie was already there. I was already, I was already using some of those principles. But what I found out is I wasn't using them, knowingly using uh-huh. them. I was accidentally using them. Uh-huh. Like the day I use them, and then tomorrow <laughs> I wouldn't use them. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, uh, what I found out is that there was principles that we could use in our everyday life to uh, to boost us to a certain level and. and I started using those principles. Yeah. Now, when you were released from prison, what was that transition like when you were coming back on the streets after all of that time? 
Man, I got out. I was ready. Yeah. Yeah, I come on the street. I, you know, I was ready to take care. They hand me that Blackberry. Yeah. And I yeah. went to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the businesses and stuff that you were engaging in when you got out? Well, when I was in prison. Yeah. What was I doing? Uh, yeah, what was you doing then? I was studying credit. Yeah. Uh, the music business. Mm-hmm. You know, I found the alcoholics while I was in prison. What? Yeah, I found the licks. I got the licks to uh, to Fade, who eventually got him signed to Loud Records. Yeah. Yeah. Exhibit. I mean, yeah. I mean, how were you maneuvering like that from behind the walls, though? Well, you know, I just constantly retch out, you know, yeah. always trying to find ways to be relevant. I mean, Blood Raw, you know Blood Raw? Yeah. I did I did a, um, an intro for him on his album that he yeah. did, the first album that he did when he signed to Cheesy. Yeah. Uh, Young Buck, when Young Buck went through it with 50 Cent, yeah. you know, I did one with him, Keep Your Head Up. Yeah. You know, that grown men cry too. Mm-hmm. You know, I told him that on his record. Uh, so, you know, I just, just, just kept trying to be relevant, you know, mm-hmm. reaching out. I'm, I probably wrote every week like 70 letters, you mm-hmm. know, a week to different people. Uh, you know, just, just staying busy. Yeah. I mean, when you came out, you saw it was a rapper named Rick Ross. That was, you know, running with the name and doing his thing with it. What was your thought process then? And did you reach out to him to see what was going on? You know, and, you know. I reached out to him when I was in prison. Mm-hmm. I was laying in my bunk one day reading a book. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my youngsters came up to me and he had a magazine. And the magazine article was talking about dude. And, then, you know, I reached out to him <coughs> and called him and got him on the phone and, he sold me a bunch of BS, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm coming down to see you. I'm going to send you some pictures, and I'm going to do this for you. I owe you, you know. Uh, since I used your name, my career started to jail and, you know, and all kind of stuff. And I was telling him, you know, uh, how that if we work together, mm-hmm. he didn't have to be Rick Ross. He could be himself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he didn't want to hear that. I was even ready to blow his cover, I guess. So, you know, he changed his number, stopped taking my phone calls. Mm-hmm. Then it got to the point to where, you know, when I got out, the lawyers wanted to take a shot at him, you know, see mm-hmm. if they can get some of that universal money like he was getting. Mm-hmm. So we tried that, you know. I didn't win in court, though. Yeah. You know, I fought. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, that's what it is now, you know. Now I'm on the rise, you know, my, my, my momentum is picking up. Mm-hmm. I feel real good. Yeah. I mean, public speaking, I mean, how's that been going around talking about, you know, what you got going uh, you on? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, uh-huh. to be a public speaker, to, to, to know that you're out giving people something mm-hmm. that, that they can use and something that they can benefit from. And then, you know, when you see even the president is listening to what you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, means a lot. You know, mm-hmm. President Obama, you know, I've been speaking to him for a minute, you know, and finally uh, I saw that he's, did some of the stuff that I've been talking about doing for six years, you know, in mm. the in the Esquire article that that I did, and he was on the cover. You mm-hmm. know, they they gave him the cover. You know, I got a a joke <laughs> that I always say that uh, the editors gave Obama the cover, but they gave me the magazine. Yeah. So. <laughs> but I talked about that uh, that they changed the crack law, but they didn't make it retroactive, and that Obama should pardon all the guys who would be out of prison right now had they made that law retroactive. And if the law would have been correct when these guys went to prison, these guys would have been out of prison. Exactly. And uh, that he should do something about it. So uh, 
the other morning, about four in the morning, I heard him on the radio saying that he had pardoned 22 guys who uh, um, was affected by those laws. Yeah. Uh, made me feel real good that that uh, maybe he's here. Exactly. I mean, what are your thoughts about those crack laws and how they locked up a whole generation of black men and just really kept people behind walls for years and years and years at a time? Well, you know, on my documentary, I got the guy who wrote those laws. You know, he speak on the documentary. He talk about how he knew they were racially motivated mm-hmm. when they wrote them mm-hmm. uh, and that he had never saw the Senate uh, so aggressively mm-hmm. uh, 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 change the law Mm-hmm. as a way that they did with the crack law. They, they changed it without doing any investigation, uh, 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 out talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, they just went in and changed the law, you know, and was trying to make it as tough as they could. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it was really interesting, and I was really uh, glad that he, he was willing to sit down, you know, and talk to me on camera. And, mm-hmm. and um, my documentary killed, too, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I said all the Al Jazeera's records. I got the numbers uh uh, yesterday they gave me the numbers. Yeah, you know Al Jazeera usually do like ten, ten thousand uh, uh, viewers a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, with with my documentary, they did a hundred thousand. Mm. So so you know I I, I shattered their numbers. You know what I'm saying? That's crazy. And it's getting ready to come out on on a uh, uh, next flex and DVD in, in about a month. That's gonna be cold. That's cold. Now. Back to your situation, the Iran-Contra scandal. What was going through your mind with all of that stuff? When you looked up and you saw all of that dope coming in, you knew you was moving it, but then you knew you was being entangled with a whole bunch of crazy people. Well, I really didn't know about them until I started trial. Uh. I didn't know. You know, I thought that, that I was a rebel against the government. You know, I didn't mm. know that I was doing what the government wanted me to do. How I did didn't that know Ronald Reagan and, and George Bush was tied and Oliver North was tied into that. You know, how would I know? I was a kid out of South Central L.A. When that, did I ever think I'd be tied in with the CIA and the White House? And never. When I woke up that morning, one morning I wake up and a dude is knocking on my door saying, man, the CIA director is in the newspaper talking about you. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. And then the next day, uh, Bill Clinton is talking about me. I'm like, wow. What was going through your mind when you're seeing that taking place? You got the president and the head of the CIA with your name in their mouth. Unbelievable. And then they even topped that. You know, the CIA director comes down to South Central L.A. to a- address a panel of uh, of people that won't, won't answer. You mm-hmm. know, they, they won't answer, and they come down there, man. You you see the documentary, you can see my crime me giving the blues. Mm-hmm. You know, we finna get I think they come down he come down that either that Saturday or that Sunday, and then we go into court Tuesday to get sentenced. Mm-hmm. And uh he sends one report to the courts that uh the CIA had no involvement mm-hmm. with cocaine. But then when he talks to this panel, he's saying that the investigation is continuing. Mm-hmm. And that they're going to get a full report. Well, you know, my crime, he gave it to him about that. Yeah. So uh, it all was exciting, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And, 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 you know, it's been an amazing ride. Mm-hmm. Reporter Gary Webb, him coming in and helping out. Well, you know, uh, Gary was, was, wow, Gary was a tremendous dude. You yeah. Know, he, uh, you know, he's one of the guys, well, he is the first guy. 
to make them stop the forfeiture laws. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was in California where the forfeiture laws and all that really started. And uh, they would pull you over, and if you had to join the car, they would take your car. Now, you could go to court, and the judge could say, well, that wasn't even marijuana that you found in that cigarette. Mm. You know, that was tobacco. It just looked like a marijuana joint. Mm-hmm. I'm throwing this case out. Mm-hmm. Will you still lose your car? And uh, Gary is the guy that, that, that spearheaded the move to stop law enforcement from being able to do those tactics. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. You, you might be a little young for it. But mm-hmm. It was a time that uh, if your car was involved with drugs or suspected of being involved with drugs, they could forfeit it. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and even if you didn't go to court, you didn't get found guilty or, or none of that, mm-hmm. you know, they could still take your property and, and, and you would be without it. Well, Gary Webb. You you see? Did you see the uh, the movie Kill the Messenger? I haven't seen Kill the Messenger yet. I've been trying to get to it though. Well, well they kind of they kind of touch on it in Kill the Messenger. You know, uh-huh. they take one of the guys in there. They take his house. You know, and and uh, uh, forfeit his house. And the guys like they just came in and took my house. You know, I ain't found no drugs or nothing. I ain't been found guilty or nothing. They just took the house. So those are the kind of tactics that, that these cowboys was, was was pulling off. You know. What are your thoughts about the government when you see that kind of stuff going on? When you look up, you're a young man doing what you do, then you find out that the CIA and the government is behind what you're doing, but then you also see them forfeiting everybody's stuff. And locking you up. And locking you up at the same time. And my question is, who is really paying for the crime other than you? Yeah, out of control. That's what you, that's what I call it, out of control. Yeah. I mean, our government is out of control. You know, we, we got to wind them in, mm-hmm. and, and the people got to, you know, got to take back over. Yeah. Now, back to Gary Webb, I mean, what was y'all relationship, and how did y'all even meet? Well, Gary Gary found me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in MCC San Diego in the high rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jill, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, I called my lawyer one day, and he was like, man, this reporter uh, says that he got some information for us, that he can help us. Mm-hmm. And uh, my lawyer was a little skeptical, you know. I'm like, man, what are you skeptical about? I'm going to get a life sentence. I ain't got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Tell him to come on down and holler at me. No, that's right. So uh, we started a relationship from there. It went from, you know, him coming down, you know, talking to me to, you know, me calling him at his house, you know, uh, three or four times a week. And, you know, I met his wife and his kids. And matter of fact, I was able to uh, meet his wife and kids in person uh, um, at, a, at a speech I gave in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. They all came out and supported me. And, um uh, we met again in New York at the screening of Kill the Messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went out and helped him promote that uh, mm-hmm. because of the family. Mm-hmm. Now, what are your thoughts on hip-hop as it is right now and as a weapon? You know, because a lot of people are saying that the messages that are coming out through hip-hop are destroying another generation. It's not as much substance in the music as it used to be at one point in time, and a lot of stuff is just more so murder, murder, kill, kill, sell some drugs and steal something. And yeah. also have sex while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, uh, that we're wasting a valuable tool, mm-hmm. a tool that could really uh, uplift our people mm-hmm. uh, because we need it right now. You know, we, we unemployment for black men is at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting too many black men shot in the back or shot with their hands up or choked out when mm-hmm. they're saying, I surrender. Uh, 
And I believe that hip hop has has played a major part because mm-hmm. what people see on TV is how they view you, mm-hmm. and you know the images that they see on, of us on TV is, is mostly negative and and, and um, what is the word? I can't think of the word now. Derogatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that it? I'm yeah. trying to think of the word. You know, I know all these big words from all that reading. I don't even know what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I, I did too much reading when I was in jail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, what do you think of some of the answers to that young male that's growing up in the hood right now that might already have a felony on his record, can't get a job, and he feels like the only thing that he can't do is hustle to come up? Man, they got a new program out there called The Five Venture that uh, that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, they want me to be the face of that company, and they're looking for the young drug dealers Yeah, uh, uh, because they believe that they have a mentality to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they do is they giving you some some training mm-hmm. on how to be a CEO, mm-hmm. you know, of a legit company. And uh, after you get that training, they help they helping you get grant money mm-hmm. as well as uh, venture capitalist loans. You know, with people who have already ran successful business to come in and not only mentor you, but also give you the money to uh, to take your business to the next level. So. Uh, all you drug dealers out there, y'all can hit me up. Let me give y'all my number. Mm-hmm. Let me give you the number to hit me on, so uh, so that you can uh, you can get it. It's uh, it's toll free too. Eight hundred six nine two three three zero two. Eight hundred six nine two three three zero two. You can hit that number to get all the details on how to become a. Uh, 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 a player in Defined Ventures uh, uh, program, you know what I'm saying? And I'm going to be helping out, teaching, and, and showing people how to flip the script, how to take their street uh, wisdom mm-hmm. and uh, turn it into corporation wisdom. What do you think stopped you from being able to get out of the game clean? Uh, greed, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing when to stop, you know. Uh, really, you know, what I know now, I could have stopped when – you know, when I had a million dollars, two million dollars, three million dollars, I could have quit. You know, mm-hmm. when, when I had my motel, tire shops, you know, beauty salons, junkyards, you know. But uh, it, it got so easy, you know, and I felt that I wasn't touching any drugs. And, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really see drugs. And, and, and I didn't see no way that they was going to catch me. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't see no way that they could catch me. Um, I didn't. I didn't really know about conspiracies. I didn't know how conspiracies mm-hmm. work. You know, I didn't know that with the conspiracy, um, really, you do better to get caught with some drugs than to get caught in the conspiracy. Because with a conspiracy now, what they do is in a conspiracy is they go to guesstimating, estimating how much drugs you have. So they don't have to have actual drugs. They just go into the court and they'll tell the jury, well, you jury, uh, we got this guy over here said that he saw him with 20 keys. And we got this guy say he saw him with 15. And mm-hmm. this guy say he saw him with 20. And and we believe that he was doing this every day mm-hmm. or every other day or every week or every month. And he did this for six years. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they'll calculate all that up, and that all becomes actual drugs. You know, in the jailhouse, they call it ghost dope. Yeah. Yeah, so they're coming there with all that ghost dope, and uh, you, you got to live with it. Mm. 
during that time when you were hustling and getting to the money? What was going through your mind? Were there any? Were you ever in fear for your own personal safety in life while you were doing all of that stuff? Absolutely. I used to wear a bulletproof vest and carry a nine millimeter everywhere I went with one in the chamber. Hmm. How were you able to deal with that paranoia while you were walking around getting to the? Did, was that not enough to make you say, you know what, I need to get up out of this because I'm walking around with a bulletproof vest and a nine with one in the chamber. No, but that's how we grew up in South Central LA. You know, yeah. We, we, that's part of life. Everybody carrying a gun. You know, mm-hmm. dudes carrying guns because they gang bang. Yeah. You know, dudes telling carrying gun. You know, because they they pimping and mm-hmm. dudes carrying gun because they steal cars. So you know, carrying guns was, was just. A, part of life you know mm-hmm. the bulletproof vest is what i brought to the game yeah you know them dudes didn't have an, enough money or enough yeah. uh, wisdom to say i'm gonna get a bulletproof vest but i was like i'm gonna get me one because i know dudes who have shootouts with the police they mm-hmm. shoot the police but the police live mm-hmm. and they get killed yeah so i said you know what i'm gonna put me on a vest just like the police do so yeah i went and ordered me a vest and the same people make the police vest but uh it, it, it's it's stressful, mm-hmm. you know. I used to have to have to drink a bottle of Melanta every day, you know, because stomach stomach problems, worrying. The doctor was like, man, you stressed out, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it ain't easy, you know. Mm-hmm. It ain't easy when you know, you know, when you know you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of young cats, you know, when they come to jail, you know, they crying and, and you know about being in jail. But uh, when I was there, I couldn't cry because uh, I knew, you know, that I was going to go to jail. Mm-hmm. Trust issues. To get to that level with all of that money, how were you able to trust your people to be able to make the money and still keep it moving without and stay alive at the same time? Well, most of the guys that I worked with, I grew up with. Yeah. You know, we, we grew up from elementary school, you know, like we were closer than family. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like my brothers. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I was their big homie, so mm-hmm. uh, I didn't have any worries about them i knew that, that they wouldn't cross me mm-hmm. you know not for money or for nothing you know mm-hmm. we, we had been together and you know we drunk out of the same can you know two straws you know yeah when you when you got partners like that there uh you don't really have to worry about them crossing you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now coming up in the game growing up during the time while you were in jail what was going through your mind as far as solutions to problems in the streets and stuff that you wish that you could have changed or done differently? Well, I, I know the problem that, that, that we have as, as, as a black community. Mm. We don't have economic. Our, our problems is economics. Mm. You know, we don't own businesses. Uh, we're not able to employ our people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people employ people who look like them. Mm-hmm. You know, the first person, you know, when, when it gets tough and people need jobs, the first person you hire is your brother. Yeah. Then your sister, then your cousin, then your uncle. And your auntie, you know what I'm saying? And then if you got something left over, then you might hire your, your friend. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the way business runs, and, and that's the way life is, self-preservation. And, and with us, um, we can't hire our brother because we don't own no business. Yeah. So uh, we, we have to get uh, wiser economically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we started, a, we started a little thing here in Atlanta that we're doing too, you know, called uh, Up On Game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, up on game where we all get together and, and we, we brainstorm about uh, what it is that we have to do as a community to, uh, to uplift ourselves and, and not count on anybody else to come in and uplift us. You know, always looking for help, but at the same time, uh, not sitting around waiting and, and, and hoping and praying that uh, somebody comes in and, and rescues One of the biggest issues that I see when folks are ready to start businesses is scraping up that capital. 
Well, you know, that's why most 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 businesses fail because they they're under uh, yeah. the capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's why we got to get together so we can make sure that our businesses are capitalized. And one of the things that really really uh, tripped me out about this defined venture that that, that I told you about mm-hmm. is when I go to it, it's a uh, it's for for ex convicts and mm-hmm. I'm like. Why nobody never do this for blacks? Mm. You know, why don't some of our billionaires and multimillionaires have programs set up where they come to the hood, you know, right in the middle of, of, of Atlanta and say, you know what, we're doing a thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a contest to see who got the best business idea, uh, uh, yep. who's, the be- who's the best entrepreneur out here that don't have any way to get started. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're going to give you grant money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna help you get some training, and uh, 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 and we're gonna loan you some money to start that business. Now, you were just saying when people look to hire people in a the depression, they're looking to hire their brother. But what do you think about people of our color that don't help one another when they are in a position to do so? Well, a lot of them, you know, I don't even believe that they're in position to uh to help. Mm. You know, I believe that they're puppets, mm. that that if they wanted to help, they couldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why so many of them go to Africa and help, because they know we can't really find out if they really helped in Africa or not. You know, they can say they helped in Africa, but they, we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. yeah. most of us don't never get to go to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so if they say, man, I went over to Africa and I built a school. Mm-hmm. How do we know? What do you think keeps them from helping the people here or... I mean, because they got to have some of the capital somewhere to be able to push it back into the community in some kind of form or fashion. We don't know. I mean, most of them don't have it. Most of them are just faking, you know. They can drive the Rolls Royce and they can stay in the big house mm-hmm. on the hill. But then, you know, when, when they die, they come and get the house back. Their kids can't keep the house. Their family don't get to keep the house. I mean, when you look at the people who we hear about supposed to be so rich and mm-hmm. so powerful, I mean, why don't we have a job development center in Atlanta, in L.A., in Chicago? I mean, at least one. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? With all these people who are supposed to be so, you know, we they talking about, they talking about we got people who are supposed to have $600 million and a billion dollars. I mean, they can't spend $6 million, million to build a, 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 a job Ooh. development center, a yeah. school in, 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 in the middle of one ghetto, you know, New York or, or, or somewhere. Where where uh, where our people could go and, and get training and then have a financial uh, 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 a financial uh, institution where they can actually get some funding as well. I mean, here this company put it together for 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 ex convicts. Mm-hmm. So then that brings me to another question. Then where's the real money at, other than selling drugs? Because a lot of us that's cash money, hand to hand combat. And you got that liquid money right there. And that's why so many of us turn to selling drugs because it's real. Yeah. You know, it's real. They can see it. They can feel it. They can touch it. You know, and this other stuff, you know, you, you don't know if it's real or not. You don't know if, if they just selling you, you know, another one. Something on the paper. Exactly. And, you know, they'll do that to get your dollar. Yeah. You know, they'll put a guy in front of you and say, oh, this is his company. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, next week he'll be filing bankruptcy. Mm. You know, can't pay for a, a suburban. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't never lied. So, you know, we, we just have to really be cautious about, 
you know, the information that we we, we taking in and, mm-hmm. and, and who we getting our information from. Because um, I, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, it, it looks bleak, you know, from, mm-hmm. from what I saw, you know, and and I've been around these six years that I've been out, yeah, um, around a lot of people, and they just don't, uh, um, they don't carry it like that. Mm. What are some of the things that surprised you and amazed you when you came out back into the regular world? I was really shocked about how bad we're doing as as a community, uh, mm-hmm. economically, uh, black people. We're really, really. Do- I mean, we lost Los Angeles. You know, Los Angeles is no longer black. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, blacks are there, but they homeless. You know, living up under bridges and in cardboard boxes, and you know, sleeping on mattresses up under tents and and, and so forth. Uh, uh, that was really amazing that we had lost so much ground and. And I understand the crack law had a lot to do with it. You yeah. know, alcohol, cigarettes had a lot to do with it. Um, and, you know, and believing mm-hmm. in this system, mm-hmm. you know, that, that never intended on us uh, um, having economical, being economically equal, uh, you know, to others. to get busy. <laughs> now, what are some of your keys to success that you believe that if a black man does that or any man in general does this, he's pretty much guaranteed to be successful? Well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to save our money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my favorite books, they say 10%. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I try to pro- practice a model where I try to save 90% and live off of 10 <laughs> <laughs> You got to, man, because it's rough right now. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, they respect your dollar when they don't respect you. You, know, yeah. you ever walk in the store and they be, uh, what are you doing here? What do you want? And when that money comes out. And then out. you pull that money out and yes, they go behind their head. And, <laughs> oh, okay, I understand now. Uh, so, so you know, that tells you right there that they respect your money when they don't respect you. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we got to start valuing our money. You know, uh, I mean, Atlanta, man, it's some jewels. I see yeah. Places here in Atlanta, you know, property that can be bought that in yeah. L.A. you just can't buy. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. Uh, I'm trying to grab me a couple of these pieces. Downtown. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. During your time when you were bringing in $3 million a day, what were some of the power moves that you felt like you were making on the legit side of things with that money? Well, you know, I own motels, I own junkyards, I own beauty salons. Uh, and my goal, like I said, was to create businesses so that I could hire my people. Do you think that's what caused the uh, cause to fall down when you started hiring too many of your people? <laughs> Shoot. No, when my businesses didn't fail because of, of my people, you know, they failed because. Well, no, I'm talking about when the government came in. Was it because you was employing too many of your people and giving too many people too much financial stability? Well, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much. They they never knew that that uh, we were going to capitalize off of the drug business uh, mm-hmm. the way the way it did. Sorry. You know. Uh, uh, one of my uh, attorneys said something to the extent that the drug business made more black millionaires probably than anything else uh, uh, that, that came around. And it made black millionaires that didn't have a white man standing behind him. So, you know, most of our millionaires now, you know, they got some white guy standing behind them, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, with strings and sticks. When you first saw that first million, how did you feel? Because I mean, a lot of us will never see that, especially liquid. Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing you uh-huh. know, uh, to have a million dollars, especially during that time. That was when a million dollars really was a million dollars in L.A. When I had a, my first million houses in L.A. was selling for like seventy thousand so, uh, dollars. It was a, it was a lot of money during that time. It could buy a lot. Mm-hmm. I think gas might have been like 
dollars, mm-hmm. fifteen a gallon. Mm-hmm. So um, it was definitely a lot of money. Uh, but I didn't really understand a million dollars then. You know what 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 the power of it was and what it could be done with. Uh, like I said, uh, I got lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, during that time, and and I was practicing a, a form of uh, savings and and and, and reinvesting that I didn't really know about, you mm-hmm. know, I just stumbled up on it and uh um and it was working. Yeah. And um I just didn't know. You know? Yeah. What is it Back that you then I could have bought, you know, a hundred thousand dollar worth of Nike and a Walmart. Yeah. You know, and, and would have, you know, two or three hundred million dollars right now. And, yeah. And, and I had a hundred thousand to spend like that at the time, you know. Yeah. It, was, it was nothing for me, you know, to spend a hundred thousand dollars, you know, during that time. I mean, did you have any retail therapy when you were spending that money? Because I know you say you were suffering from the paranoia and the stress of it all. I mean, when it came to spending that money, did that make you feel any kind of way? I didn't spend my money on, on, on things like that. Mm-hmm. I spent my money back on drugs. Mm. You know, uh, I, I wasn't into buying the clothes. You know, I, I didn't need clothes and jewelry to make me feel special or, or make me feel good about myself. You mm-hmm. know, I, I already felt good about myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made me feel good was to know that that I was helping my guys, and mm-hmm. you know that my guys were doing good, just like I was. Looking back on that time, what would this Rick Ross tell that Rick Ross to do differently? Hmm. Definitely save that money mm-hmm. and invest in the right places. You know, take that money and put it in the right places. You know, don't uh, don't let it sit in the closet. Mm-hmm. You know, in the <laughs> shoebox. You know, find some good solid investments to uh, to put it in, and and, and they are out here. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, another company that I'm wrestling with right now is, is uh, called uh, Gold Bars. Mm-hmm. You know, I just signed up with them last week. Uh, where they are teaching uh, uh, blacks how to uh, invest in gold. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because gold is better than than having your money sitting in the bank. You know, mm-hmm. you can buy. Yeah. Uh, uh, a gram of gold now, you know, mm-hmm. they'll ship you one gram of gold to your house, mm. you know, but a lot of people, they don't want to invest because they don't have the money to buy a, a whole ounce or, or 10 ounces or whatever, but now uh, you can buy, uh, uh, you can buy a gram. Mm. So um, I, I would definitely tell him to invest his money wisely mm-hmm. uh, and carefully, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and stop selling dope. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you came out of prison, how do you feel like you were embraced by your community when you came out? Oh, man, it was, it's been lovely. You yeah. Know what I'm saying? The community has really, really showed me support, mm-hmm. uh, even more support than I even think that I deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's been lovely. You know, like I said, uh, my book is a bestseller right now mm-hmm. on Amazon, Kindle, and Nook. Uh, and I'm going to be number one. I'm going to be number one bestseller on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. might be this year, next year, 10 years from now. I don't know, but uh, I will get to be a bestseller, and I will sell a million books mm-hmm. uh, before it's all over with. And uh, I'd have to get that credit to my community for, for, for backing me and supporting me and, and to allow me to even come back into the community, you know, after uh, some of the stuff that I've done to my community. Mm-hmm. Now, this book right here, any movies on the way? Well, you know, we, we, we've been working on this movie, man, I've been working on this movie since like '93. Mm-hmm. The late George Jackson and me was working on it in '93, uh-huh. uh, before he passed. Mm-hmm. And now, his partner Reggie Hutland mm-hmm. is signing on as the director mm-hmm. 
to direct it. I had Nick Cassavetti was going to direct it. You know, Nick did Blow, Alpha Dogs, The Notebook. Uh, he wrote the script, mm -hmm. uh, but the budget was too high. We couldn't get it financed. $36 million, I think it was, something like that. Mm. But now uh, Reggie's coming on. We're going to rewrite the script and uh, try to get the budget down to where, uh, where we can get it done. Also, we're working on a TV series as well. On your life story? Mm-hmm. What are some of your stories that you would like to share that you can't believe that you made it through? I almost got kidnapped one time. I mean, you got to tell me that story. Well, I was slipping one night, and uh, this guy and this girl walked up on me, and I kind of let down my guards because he had a girl with him, and they was hugging. So it looked like there was a couple. Yeah. So I let him walk up on me. And then before I knew it, he had threw a gun in my face. So he told me to get back in the car. It was my car. Mm -hmm. They told me to get back in. So I got back in the car, and I had the door open, and my, my legs were still hanging out the, the car door. And um, he had the gun in my face, and he turned his head for a second to tell the girl to go get in on the other side. And when he did, I grabbed his hand and was able to twist his hand and get the gun out of his hand. The girl picked the gun up and shot at me, though, but I, I was able to get away. What was yeah. going through your mind after that happened right there? And how much stricter were you on yourself as far as protecting yourself? Well, I knew I couldn't get in that car. Because mm -hmm. I had said a no, a no, uh, no ransom policy. You know, we wasn't paying no ransoms. Mm. So I knew that uh, if they put me in that car, they was going to torture me. Yeah. And do all kind of things <clears throat> to me and because they wasn't getting no money. Yeah. So uh, it was a life or death situation. So I felt that it was better to die right there in front of my mama's house where they would get me that day and cry and, yeah. you know, a week and it'd be over with. I'd be in the ground and, and they'd be done with it. Mm -hmm. Then somebody kidnapping me and, you know, torturing me and it'd be months before they find me. Yeah. So I decided that uh, that I would rather just go right there on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I did it. That's in the book, too. After that, what other precautions did you take to protect yourself after that? And did that just rally you up so much that you was thinking to yourself, I, I, I don't know, everybody's a target. Anybody can get it, you know. Well, you know, it was funny because it was like 15 to 20 guys in my backyard. I mean, just over the fence, you know, my mom had, I was at my mom's house. But, you know, all my guys were there lifting weights. Yeah. You know. They did it with, with all them there, you know, but they couldn't hear and couldn't see because of the brick wall yeah. that separated us. But it was just, you know, bold that somebody had come right there, you know, and, 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 and tried to do it. So uh, that let me know, you know, the people are bold when they, when they know you got that money. Yeah. You know, when you run around the city with a couple million dollars in, in duffel bags, you know, people, people get bold. Mm-hmm. What was that like running around the city with a couple million dollars in duffel bags? Because <laughs> I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> I can tell you what it's like to run around the city with about five dollars in your uh, in some linen in your pocket. No, it's lovely. I mean, you know, you pull up to the gas station, everybody yeah. pull in to fill their car up, you know, and, and you don't even care. Yeah. You know, you just like fill it up. You mm -hmm. know? I mean, um, it's good to be rich and to be able to help your people. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why. I really trip off of people now and, and wonder if if we really have the success that 
people are claiming that we have and you know with some of our, our celebrities and you know some of our people because uh I think they're being robbed of the 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 feeling of being able to help somebody you know uh and and a lot of times you know people might take it as you know when you help somebody is being weak but you know it's one thing to give somebody a hand up and it's another one to give a hand out yeah and i think a lot of our people want hands up and not hands out yeah why do you think people are flexing like they're so successful when they really are not and they just got a shell of success going well, you around? Know, this is the age of fake it till you make it. You know, everybody will tell you, fake it till you make it. Man. But the question it. is, are they even making it? Or are they just faking it until they grave it? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> Shoot. Well, you know, you get caught up, though, and then yeah. you, you don't know the difference. Between uh, faking it and making it, uh, you know, they, they get tangled, you know. And, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes I go to these schools, you know, Jordan High School in, in Los Angeles, and it sits in the middle of the projects. And yeah. I walk in these schools, and I see these young girls uh, with with braids, this, this weave in their hair that, mm -hmm. you know, I know the hair costs three, four hundred dollars just for the hair, and then yeah. to put it in probably costs another two or three hundred. Mm -hmm. And then I know they, I know you live in the project. That money could be and going somewhere. You got on Air else. Jordans. Yeah. I yeah. know you live in the projects. Your mom is on welfare. Y'all get food stamps. Yeah. So you figure like, how do these people make the sacrifices to to buy these material things to make the appearance look good, but <coughs> not have substance? Mm -hmm. You know. I think it's more valuable to have the substance than the appearance of having the substance. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you know, people talk to me about my dress code all the time. Oh, you look like this, but you know, um, Johnny Cochran. I remember when he was doing the O.J. Simpson's case, and you know, he put on the the the, the, the scully, mm -hmm. you know, the scully, mm -hmm. and he said, "It don't matter. You put this scully on, it's still O.J. Simpson up yeah. under there." Yeah. So you know, you can take a clown and put on a mighty suit, mm -hmm. but he's still a clown. Yeah, you know the, the suit don't make you not be a clown. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that it, we have to get our people to understand that substance is more valuable than than the look of having substance. During the time that you was in the game, how were you able to discern who was real and who was fake, who was for you and who to ignore? Well, you got to you got to give everybody opportunity. You know, you got to let people show themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't necessarily judge you know who's gonna be real and who's not gonna be real um it's a test of time you know you, you give them a chance and, and they're gonna show you who they really are mm -hmm. you know a person can play one way but he can only play that way for a little while and exactly. who he really is is gonna, gonna start to show so i mean it was the same way in the game you mm -hmm. know i didn't have no magic wand to, to be able to say oh this guy here is, is real and this one is fake i wish i did uh, yeah but i just didn't how do you feel being able to live and talk about it? Because so many other folks, I got partners that didn't even make it to 18, 20, 21, and they didn't sell much of nothing. Well, it feels good to have my experience. You yeah. Know, I feel that, that ex the experience that I have is, is, is uh, invaluable. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that uh, there's nobody else on the planet that can do the things that, that, that I'm able to do right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'm excited about it. And, you know, I'm just hoping that uh, – that I make the best of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I know you're saying you was working with John Singleton and a few other folks earlier. How do you feel about getting into the entertainment industry and getting busy? 
Well, I think I can take over the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I met the guys at the top, you know, mm-hmm. Corey Emanuel, Michael Linton, uh, Jeff Bird, Spencer Boomer, and they didn't impress me. Mm. You know, I don't know how these guys uh, follow them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really know what people like. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's why we keep seeing the same movies over and over. You know, Batman, mm-hmm. Spider Man, uh, uh, what's that serious? Seven or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they keep going over because they can't think of anything else, you know. How do you think that those people get in those positions of power and they really don't have the inter- intellectual capability or. Go to law school. Yeah. Go to law school, go to Harvard Law School and, and you know, and, and do paperwork. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because you can do paperwork and numbers, you know, uh, eventually you work your way up to where you, you're the president of the company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them, father and mother, you know, yeah. had all the connections, you know, was already in Hollywood. And, and, and you know, that's how they become self-made. <laughs> mm-hmm. A young ghetto black boy, 15 years old, what would you tell him to do with his life in order to be successful? The first thing he should do is read those three books. Mm-hmm. You know, think and Grow Rich, As a Man Think, and The Richest Man in Babylon. And then if he get a chance, you know, read the Ghetto Bible. Yeah. Freeway Rick Ross, you know, add that one to your to your forte. Mm-hmm. Uh, with those principles, you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, they helped a, a illiterate drug dealer uh, win his case on appeal. Mm-hmm. When you look, okay, when you look back on it, you're thinking three million a day. Then you look up, okay, I'm in prison. But then you look up, okay, now I'm literate, and I'm going into court to fight my own case. Yeah. What is your thought process about those things? Because those are all different drastic places to be at at one time, at one point, in one life. Well, it shows you that you can overcome. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that we as humans are uh, uh, adaptable. Mm-hmm. We can adapt, you know. What I found out about the human body, I did a lot of studying on the mind and the human body. You know, if they put us in a cold place, mm. our body starts to grow hair all over mm. to adapt to that to that environment. And if you're in the sun long, then the hair, it starts to go away. Mm-hmm. So what that tells me is that our bodies and our minds adapt to whatever environment that we put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all we have to do is just let it do its job. And a lot of times what we do is we circumvent our mind and, and clog it with, all these other things, you know, like a radio station on, on two channels, you know, mm-hmm. you ain't going to be able to understand and pick up nothing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we have to get ourselves focused and, and, and unclogged and, and, mm-hmm. and, and lock in on one channel and then go for it. Yes, and that's sir. all I did when, when, when I went in the law book. Uh, 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 my lawyer had, had pretty much gave me a tip one day, you know, like, Basically, he was telling me that if you expect somebody else to do something for you that you should be doing for yourself, then you was in trouble. Mm. And what I took from that is that nobody in the courtroom was supposed to know more about my case than I did. And at the end of the day, they didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, when everybody else said I was never getting out, um, I kept saying, I'm getting out, I'm getting out. Mm-hmm. And uh, here I am today. Up against those unbelievable obstacles and circumstances, though, where do you think that your faith level is? And what was it that gave you that faith to stay down with it until you came up? Because, I mean, 20 years, that's still a long time to serve, having faith and hope that you'll get out one day. Well, you know, um, you gotta, I, had, I didn't have nothing else. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't see myself giving up. 
um, that wasn't the way that my mom had raised me. It wasn't a way that, you know, me and my homies thought, you know, mm-hmm. giving up. We didn't give up, you know. Uh, we kept fighting until the game was over, and, and, and that's the way, you know, I went into to the courtroom, and, and that's the way I go into life right now. You mm-hmm. know, I'm going to fight. You know, maybe I might not reach my goals, and, you know, I might not become successful, but I'm going to continue to fight, you know, no matter what, you know what the odds are, or what position I'm in, you know, uh, you know, on the documentary. And when I talked on the documentary, you know, I was prepared to, to work out of a homeless shelter if necessary mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. accomplish my goal, mm-hmm. whatever it takes. You know, that's what I'm willing to do. I can definitely dig that. Lastly, anything you want to get off your chest before we wrap up the interview, Twitter, Instagram, and how can people follow you and get in contact with you? Yeah, they can get me on uh Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them, the Freeway Ricky. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, anybody that want to get involved with the Vibe Venture, you know, that's the company that's doing the loans to uh, drug dealers, they can hit me up at 800 692 And also, you can hit me up if you're interested in buying gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit me up there, and if you want to become a distributor of my books mm-hmm. or my T-shirts, I'm going to put out my next... <coughs> my next T-shirt, you know, my T-shirts. I almost did like fourteen thousand copies of that too. Mm. <coughs> of the real Rick Ross is not a rapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm finna come out with my second shirt, so uh, y'all be on the lookout for that. Okay. Be one of the first ones. Oh, also too, I'm auctioning off Kim Kardashian's uh, mouthpiece, her charity <laughs> mouthpiece. I'm I'm trying to get a million dollars for that. So if anybody yeah. wants Kim Kardashian's mouthpiece that she had in her mouth, they can get that too. Holla <laughs> at your boy. <laughs> Already, man. Well, Ross, appreciate you coming through this thing, sir, man. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Already. I'm glad to be here. You know what I'm saying? Make sure y'all pick up that book. It's worth it. Yes, sir. <coughs>